Hello, and welcome to the Mobile ID World Podcast, a show dedicated to understanding who we are in the mobile digital world. My name is Peter Counter. I am the managing editor of Mobile ID World, and also our sister website, Find Biometrics. To kick off this podcast on the right note, this first episode is about the Find Biometrics Year in Review Survey. Now in its 16th year, the Year in Review survey polls biometrics and identity experts on top trends and attitudes from the previous 12 months. Biometrics technology plays an important role in the emerging mobile ID landscape, so the Year in Review data is especially helpful in setting the stage for the year to come. To discuss the results with me, I've invited a very special guest to the show, Maxine Most, Principal at Acuity Market Intelligence. Maxine is a lauded biometrics expert with 20 years of industry experience. Her reports remain the best way to stay informed on the biometrics industry, and I'm very pleased to have her here on the show today. Together, Max and I talk about the rise of facial recognition, what's next for fingerprint sensors, trends in financial services, and where the biometrics industry is headed. Without further ado, I'm proud to present episode one of the Mobile ID World podcast. Every year, the year in review has a question about the most popular modalities, the most popular biometric modalities. And uh, this year, facial recognition was the big one. Well, do you um, look at what's been happening in the mobile ecosystem with the adoption of authentication via selfie? In mm-hmm. certain sense. And I think people, to a certain extent, understand facial recognition more than they understand fingerprints. It's more intuitive for people and they're used to using their face as a means of identification because every ID card that you have that's considered to be a valid ID card has a picture of your face on it. So it certainly makes a lot of sense. And in terms of what's going on, uh, I think this is more so in Europe and in Asia where they have centralized databases, national identity databases with, facial images on it, it creates uh, or it leverages an infrastructure to access centralized uh, identity verification, you know, via via the images that are being stored, that the government's already storing. So if you're talking about KYC or onboarding, it's a perfect um, coming together of two, of, of an application, of two different applications or ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right, especially in terms of it being more intuitive. You know, I think if we want to get very big human race picture on this, it's sort of, you know, it's facial recognition is how we recognize each other. Mostly, you know, we don't look at each other's fingerprints to, you know, see if I don't look at my mom's fingerprints if, to see if I'm talking to my mom. You know? No, no. Maybe that sounds weird to some of the people listening. Well, I think, and you know, it's true, it's voice and face, right? Those are the two ways that human beings identify each other. I I guess you could make the same argument for gait, right? If you think about it, when you see someone Mm -hmm. in the distance, often you can tell who it is because they're walking. And so so then there's an interesting question of, you know, does, does the way that humans recognize each other, does that make a better case for biometrics and and particularly in a in a market landscape where all of a sudden 
um, maybe not all of a sudden, but it seems that all of a sudden you have AI and machine learning bursting onto the scene. So now we're really more focused on mirroring or mimicking um, the way the human mind operates mm -hmm. in a digital space. And so, you know, facial recognition makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, and, you know, and even there's cameras everywhere, right? We all have cameras. <laughs> exactly. Everybody has a high res camera in their hand. So, yeah, it's certainly easier. And, uh, you know, I think that you hit on something really important there about how uh, our AI models are sort of mimicking human ideas. And we're seeing that or behavior and we're seeing that in the language being used. This was the first year I felt like in our coverage at Fine Biometrics and Mobile ID World, uh, we started to really start to see facial recognition as becoming interchangeable with the term computer vision. And a lot of the stories about how artificial intelligence is using facial recognition correspond with things like how that one um, Google engineer, you know, used AI and computer vision to uh, identify different bowls of ramen or something like that. <laughs> ramen ID, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, so get ready. That's the big trend. Well, and ultimately, what's really interesting from my perspective, particularly um, looking back on where I came from and how I kind of came into the technology business, which was computer graphics, mm -hmm. which is essentially um, image or pattern you know, dealing with images and patterns and image and pattern recognition. And so that's what actually, interestingly, what kind of drew me into the biometric space mm -hmm. because it was a, it was an image based security technology, you know, the way, so, so, so I looked at it kind of post 9-11. And so to me, that's really interesting. You know, it, it, we're getting to a point where, okay, whether it's a face or ramen, you're fundamentally dealing with images and pattern recognition. And that's really the core of any biometric technology. Right, yeah, recognizing the unique patterns. I think the patterns. even you know, even behavioral biometrics in terms of interacting with your with your mobile phone or online. I mean, you're fundamentally identifying patterns that can be um, captured and and processed and matched in a reliable mm -hmm. way. Yeah, well, and that's a good segue into the the number two most exciting modality with 28% uh, of the vote, which was any combination of the above multimodal solutions are the most exciting to me, which, I mean, sometimes is, it feels a little bit like a, a cop-out, but at the same time, I think that there's, you know, a lot to be said about the rise of multimodality in terms of just how available modalities are, especially um, to consumer end users. Right. Well, it's interesting to me because, you know, I've been saying this for more than 10 years now that, um, you know, when I picked up my first iPhone, I thought to myself, well, this is going to be the personal authentication device of the future uh, in 2007, even though people laughed at me. Um, right. <laughs> <back> <laughs> oh, you'll never have biometrics on those things. I'm like, OK. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's <laughs> interesting to me is that I my belief around that um, vision of a smart device as a personal authentication device was that you would just pick it up and it would recognize you. Right. So I don't care whether it's my face, my, my, my fingers, my skin, my pulse, whatever it's, whatever it's, it's processing to me, there's a point at which I should be able to pick that device up 
and you should recognize me. And that then binds me to that device. And, you know, we can have a whole other conversation about on-device versus cloud-based authentication, but I think the, 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 the important transition from my perspective, really for the next major phase in consumer and really enterprise biometrics as well, is when we are going to become accustomed to and comfortable with and reliant on and, it, and it, a security environment around our mobile devices where we pick them up and they are bound to us biometrically. And if they are not, we can't access them. So if you think about, you know, 2013 when the uh, 5S was introduced, right, that major transformation in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're living through that, right? We're continuing to live through that. I think the next major transformation around that ecosystem is you can only access your device with biometrics. Yeah. And I think that, I think you're right. It, it's such a, it's such a big shift for us to be able to start to bring actual identity in something that we take for granted in our everyday lives into the digital space, which is now where we do live our lives. Like we're seeing this convergence, especially oh in the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all living in the VR zone now, Max. This is just how it is. But uh, it's it's like what we're seeing in the um, in the enterprise and what we have been seeing for a while, um, which is the the convergence of physical and information security. Simply because our biological identity is a good credential for both of those things. I was nine when I got the internet. We, I was using instant messengers and chat rooms to talk to all of my friends. And in order to assert my identity, I had to fill out a little profile, you know, of like, what's my favorite movie? What's all of these things? And so, right. and that's that's the general way that that identity was on the internet pretty much until this era that we're in right now. But I would argue we're still there. I would argue that fundamentally we are still there. We have not made that shift. And to me, the indication perhaps that we are making that shift is the notion that that biometrics becomes the 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 mechanism for me to access my personal device. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, people are still asking me what my mother's maiden name is. And then the, the thing that I hate now is you get this list of questions of all this stuff that I'm never gonna remember the answer to, no matter what I pick at the moment, you know? So mm -hmm. I still think that, that the underlying foundation of identity, digital identity, is still profile-based. We have not made that, that shift. And I think the, an indication that we are making it is that, you know, when, when, you have to, when you have to biometrically authenticate to your device, that's gonna be a, because that's the gateway, right? That's the gateway mm -hmm. to the internet, it's the gateway to communications. So that's the first step just to say, okay, you know, a pin code workaround is not good enough. Right. Now, just one last thing on modalities here. Um, fingerprint biometrics have, like I said, they've they've fallen in, in stock in terms of our, our <laughs> respondents' excitement. But there's a lot of interesting things happening, specifically yeah. right now, uh, under display fingerprint sensors on mobile devices, um, but also the fingerprint biometrics on payment cards and credit cards. Uh, those seem to be big trends going into 2019. Do you think that fingerprint biometrics will become the mascot 
ever again, or are they just going to be in these? <laughs> well, I, look, I think the under, I've been talking about under display for years. Again, it goes to my I, this this idea of being able to just pick your device up, and, or what I always used to call do nothing biometrics. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that that's going to happen, I, and I, I think along with that happening, what we're going to start to see, and this also is going to, I think, um, really shift the dynamics in the marketplace, is that you're going to start having fingerprint sensors in mobile, you know, consumer mobile devices that have FBI certified quality fingerprint capture. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be, to me, a huge game changer too. There are plenty of devices that are in the consumer space now, mm -hmm. but they're going to be embedded in the smartphones. They're going to be, you know, it's going to be, instead of having, you know, the, the current quality of sensors we have, which obviously have been, you know, progressively becoming better quality, more accurate, so on and so forth. I think we're going to, there's going to be a jump to that um, quality in mm -hmm. sensors. And what that means is that, you know, there's a, there's a market, there's a market right now for a lot of specialized mobile devices that, that meet that need. But I think what we're going to see is that's going to become mainstream, and that changes what can be done with a standard, you know, off-the-shelf smartphone. Is uh, you know the most um, exciting slash interesting area of application, uh, which is obviously no surprise. Number one, financial services. Um, you know, I think that part of that is definitely that there's a lot of risk there. Um, but as we were just talking about. You've got the biometric payment cards are going to be coming out uh, soon. And so there was a lot there. And as you mentioned as well, the uh, remote enrollment is a, is a big part of that as well. Right. Yeah. I, I tell you, I still don't quite wrap my head around the bi biometric payment cards. You know, I know there's a, there's a number of really high quality companies that have committed in this space and they're working actively. I, it's not clear to me because when I think about the digital ecosystem, I and I open up my wallet and like the cards fall out, I think to myself, I, I don't want more cards, I want less cards. And if I've got, why do I need a card if I have my smartphone? I mean, that's the thing that that is kind of the quandary in my mind. And maybe I'm missing something and maybe, in, in, you know, it's a transition technology, I don't know, but I just keep thinking, I, I don't want more, I don't want more cards. I don't want more to keep track of. I don't want more plastic. I want more of that embedded in my device so that I don't have to um, worry about all that stuff. You know, when I um, was in London last year, I was able to get around 80% of the time using my payment mechanism on my smartphone without having to pull a card out, even in the um, in the tube. I thought it was fabulous. I mean, it just it was so simple. And so that's the world I'm looking forward to, I guess. So mm -hmm. I still have these question marks in my head around the the uh, biometric cards, but you know I've been wrong before. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, when you first hear about it, it does seem like it is a transitional technology, especially since we started to see it coming about after the advent of the mobile wallet. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I do. I do sort of get it from a trust standpoint with mm -hmm. uh, consumers because, you know, I do see every now and then, and I, again, like, you know, I'm from Canada, um, I'm in Atlantic Canada, and so our infrastructure is a little bit, you know, behind 
uh, places in the in the states and major cities there. But you know, I very rarely see people using their phones to buy things, but I always see people trying to do tap to pay with their cards. Right. And right. I do wonder if some of that has to be because of a trust in something that's mailed to you from your financial institution versus something that's asking you to upload your information onto your device where you also play like, I don't know what, or Fortnite. That's what kids play on phones. <laughs> well, now. I mean, yeah. And if you're, you're also talking about what the millennial experience is. I mean, I was at the market a couple months ago and someone was writing a check. I was like mortified. <laughs> like, oh, you know, and I'm, I'm almost 60. I'm like, come on. Really? <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I, and again, you know, there's a huge global infrastructure that's dedicated to card processing and it's not going to be, you know, they're just not, they're not going to just go away. They're not just going to go, okay, well, you know, this is old technology. So to me, watching this evolution from where we are now, where there's so much possibility to where we end up maybe 10 years from now is going to be really interesting. What yeah, that process looks like, how those transition, ha how those transition, ha transition happens. I'm a big believer in, you know, biometric identity as a service being, being the, you know, uh, kind of replacing a lot of that archaic infrastructure because as payments become more about identity, uh, I think that model actually has tremendous potential to disrupt the existing infrastructure, which is basically about authenticating cards instead of authenticating people. But how that transition happens, what it looks like, you know, what you know how what how the disruption takes place and moves the market i think is going to be fascinating to watch yeah and it's also a lot it, a lot of it's really based on region which is funny too because like this is such this is a global industry and so we have a lot of places based on various uh privacy re regulations and uh just also cultural nuance right. where you start to see you know interesting solutions starting to happen i mean you know obviously in china where it's you know, completely unregulated in terms of privacy, you get have things like where you can buy uh, KFC with facial recognition at the store, you know? Yeah. Uh, the other hand with that is well, the like- the Chinese are investing incredibly heavily in facial recognition across the board. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's hard to gauge what the level of quote consumer acceptance is in, a, in an economy where, you know, there's not a lot of uh, power in terms of what the consumers want or don't want, but right. they're certainly—I mean, they—they they have massively invested invested in the technology and rolled it out on a scale that's really um, quite impressive. And you know, and they're also the same thing with artificial intelligence. So, you know, I think it's interesting. I think it's a little frightening. I think that when when vendors move in and out of um, regions of the world or s countries where you have these very restrictive political environments and then you know they're moving across into western democracies i think there's a, there's a lot of issues there there's a lot of concern there you know there's a lot of uh you know when you talk about you know creating consumer concern or acceptance i think that tends to trigger a lot of that because you know that these companies are choosing to do business across the board and 
I think when they make those choices, that impacts the way consumers perceive those organizations within um, Europe, the West, you know, in general. This episode of the Mobile ID World podcast is brought to you by the Find Biometrics Directory, the Internet's most comprehensive database of biometrics, identity, and strong authentication vendors. To find the biometric solution that's right for your business, visit findbiometricsdirectory.com. And now, back to the show. Um, still sticking on the topic of uh, financial services here, there are two other questions in the year in review that, that fit into that umbrella. The first one I want to talk about uh, was an agree or disagree question, which was, if given the option to use biometrics to pay for age-restricted substances, such as alcohol or cannabis, I would. And it was an overwhelming yes. Um, <laughs> I think that that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. It's it, it kind of comes down to you know better uh, the better option in terms of um, in terms of identity. But I think one of the big interesting things that happened in 2018 was we started to see this actually applied. You know, you have um, companies like Yodi uh, out of the UK, and they are offering sort of age restriction based on biometrics as part of their uh, digital ID. So that for them, they have like uh, adult content regulations on internet stuff, but also alcohol restricted substances sales. And then also something uh, that happened, uh, we talked about it on our panel at um, Money 2020, was that Clear uh, has their partnership with Anheuser-Busch and they're actually in pilot phases where they're using biometrics essentially instead of carding, which I think is a pretty fascinating thing. Well, look, the reality is if this is done properly, and again, that's, you know, that's an if, what it does is it allows you, it allows an adult to exercise their right to um, access regulated substances without releasing personal information, Mm -hmm. right? Using if you can if you can use a biometric system that that basically is just a yes or no or you know does this person meet the age requirement then you don't have to you know hand over all the rest of your personal identification when you're going through this process now granted you want to make sure that the system exists in a way that it's protecting your data at enrollment and in terms of biographic and biometric data management, but it certainly seems like a great application to say yes or no, and that's it. And then you don't need me, you know, to give you my, any more personal information to access a product that I may not want anybody knowing that, you know, I'm accessing. Right. Yeah. It's almost like a tokenized version of your identity where it's like, you don't need to even know how old I am. You just need to know that I am old enough. Right. And it, well, you know, and I live live in a state now where there's a, you know, there's a pot store in every community. So, and I know Canada, Canada's <laughs> all over so, you know, it's funny because they used to be much more closed off and now they're really sort of way more in the, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in the public eye. And so, you know, I guess a lot of the um, concern about, you know, your reputation being seen walking into a pot shop has kind of <laughs> faded, but you know, it's a, it's a regulated product and people are entitled to, you know, a certain amount of privacy. Yeah, totally. And it opens up the, the door to online sales eventually when, when things get a little bit stronger. Um, in the same vein, actually, there, the question 
15 on our year in review was uh, another agree disagree one. I would be comfortable holding an account with a branchless bank if it was secured by biometrics. Um, again, overwhelming support for this. I think that it makes a lot of sense, but it's a bit more of a surprise to me because I feel like a lot of trusts in banks in North America, at least Canada and the United States, does have to do with that face-to-face -face contact point. But then know, with- so talking to someone who has multiple, um, multiple, um, branchless bank account. So for me, oh, well, there we go. This is perfect. Right, but, then. But, the, but you know, the pro again, the process of applying for this, it's like, I'm just filling out paperwork and like, you know, emailing it to you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not a lot, you know, there's not a lot of reliability. I think these guys, I think I had to like make a copy of my driver's license and email it or fax it or something. And I'm like, really, that's, you know, that's <laughs> what we're doing. Um, and, you know, for me, the biggest concern was which, you know, in the U.S., is, are they FDIC insured? I'm like, okay, they're FDIC insured, so, I, you know, I'm not going to lose my money. But um, that, to me, was the trust factor. You know, I'm like, right. okay, that's all right. I You know, I'm okay then, as long as I have a statement. But, um, yeah, I just found, again, the process. Like, when you do, when you actually go through these processes, you're like, oh, my God, this is like, this could so easily be scammed by anybody who really wanted to scam it, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's sort of the, the difficulty that you come across essentially knowing so much about identity and fraud right. going through these processes. <laughs> you're like, if I was trying to defraud this company, right. how would I do it? It would be so easy. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and yet when they introduce biometrics, you know, that conversation still happens in your mind because you want to be adversarial, you want to be contrarian. And you're like, instead of being like, oh, how could I, you know, uh, modify this photocopy of my driver's license to be somebody else it would be something like well how do i go about spoofing this voice and face biometrics right you know? that's what i think is it is pretty funny right you know and and every time the, the the one they came out recently was what was it the wax hand for vein recognition or something yeah. and i tweeted about it like there's a scalable attack i'm like come on given enough time and focus any security technology can be broken, right? I mean, it, it's just inevitable. There's nothing that is 100% foolproof. So the idea that you can do this, that a, a lab full of people who are spending a bunch of their time doing it and have access to all kinds of tools and technology is not a surprise to me. And it should be a su surprise to anybody. It's still, I think it's more difficult than guessing somebody's four digit pin, but you know. Mm. You mentioned this when I sent this to you. There's a bit of some a thing that seems a little bit contradictory, which is that uh, everybody um, agrees, or the majority of our respondents agree that biometrics are a nascent technology. And yet, at the end of the <laughs> survey, they all concede that they're also mainstream, which it seems like a contradiction at first, but I think that it's, it's really fascinating because like what you just said, uh, you know, we can even spoof the previously unspoofable vein technology in a scalable way. Um, and yet, biometrics are mainstream. They're absolutely everywhere. Um, in our consumer devices, you know, uh, even uh, there's behavioral and starting to be a little bit more voice biometrics, like actual voice biometrics in our smart home technology. Things are going to start being integrated into smart cars a bit more. Um, I just I think, think it's hard yeah. to call a technology nascent. 
when we're talking about billions of right. devices. Yeah. I, you know, I'm like, that's not nascent. <laughs> that's mainstream. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe the argument is that the technology is mainstream, but the applications are still nascent. You could argue perhaps along those lines mm-hmm. because I think we have, we we're just barely scratching the surface of what we, what we can and will do with biometrics. And the vast majority of biometrics are used for unlocking people's smartphones or, now, you know, for example, my smartphone, I have my, my uh, touch ID linked up to all of my authentication processes. So anytime I'm authentication, authenticating anything, um, you know, through my uh, bank apps or, you know, any other apps I have, then, you know, it's asking me to do a touch ID if I want to. So I think that, you know, you could argue that that were pretty nascent in terms of the penetration across applications. So maybe that's the way to contextualize it so that it makes sense right yeah i think that makes a lot of sense too because yeah you're right like there's there's it's indisputable that biometrics are mainstream everybody is using them all the time um but i do think that there is some maturing that can do and the the potential is so big that i mean the people who are filling out this survey you know they're they're in the industry and so they understand where they're where we're headed and like you said, like we're in a transition time that's very fascinating. It's hard to imagine what's going to happen in the next five years. So that makes a lot of sense. I don't, um, I don't think it's that hard to imagine, Peter. That's the business I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you don't. If anybody listening wants to know what's what's going to happen in the next five years, yeah. visit uh, Acuity Market Intelligence. <laughs> um, one of the most controversial questions in the survey was, are biometrics a controversial <laughs> technology? Which, again, kind of funny. A slight majority agrees that they are. Now, you have been in this industry longer than I have, um, and so I want to know your perspective. Do you think that biometrics will always be controversial? I think, you know, you can go, if you look far enough in the future, the answer is no, right? I mean, right. you can go 20, 30 years, some number of years in the future, and I, I think the answer will be no, because by then, I think biometrics are going to be so integrated into our daily lives that we won't see them that way. We won't even think about them, and there'll be a lot of authentication that's going on sort of in the background. So right. I think as that happens, we're gonna it's going to lose the status. I, I do think they are controversial today, and I think the controversy really is around their use in environments where the consumers or citizens don't have any power or control over the data manage the data acquisition, the data management, um, and the you know ownership and use, extended ownership and use of the data. And I think that it's really a broader issue. It's not just biometric data, right? It's all of our mm-hmm. data. Yeah. So that's where I think the controversy comes in and that's where the fear comes in. And what, and again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I think it's so interesting that people are so afraid of the biometric data being misused yet all the rest of their data is being misused right. on a regular basis. And so it's really, I, I think it's, it's kind of an education process. It's kind of an advocacy process. 
Um, I know there's been a long time tension between privacy advocates, particularly in the United States, privacy organizations and the biometrics industry, which I just mm -hmm. think is a, a tension that doesn't need to exist. Um, yeah, there are privacy folks that say, you know, they're extreme, absolutely no biometrics under any circumstance. And I think that's unrealistic because you can't sort of undo technology. Mm -hmm. So what I think is really the challenge is to, is to build, and I've always said this, I think it's the, uh, the onus to, to some extent, to a large extent, is on the technology providers to build yeah. in the protections into the technology itself. Now, what that requires is a regulatory environment with rules, policies, and processes that are clear so the, the technology folks can do that. They're not going to do it on their own. But I think that's to me what I'd really like to see, and I think that would, and I, I think that would alleviate some of this controversy, which is to have a clear understanding of what it means to own your own data, to have your privacy protected in a, in an era of, you know, digital data everywhere. And you know, in the United States in particular, I don't know how far ahead Canada. Canada is a little bit further ahead because you've had a lot more of these discussions. Our privacy protections are like 19th century. They're completely inconsistent, irrelevant, and and inadequate to the world we live in today. And so I would like to see actually the industry advocate for um, reasonable controls, reasonable regulation. And I, you know, it's, I, that's like people's head explodes when I say that. But that you know, that's the solution, right? Is to is to is to proactively agree to some ground rules and have everybody play by them. And look what's happening with Facebook now. I mean, it's just, there's no question that you're gonna to start to see regulation. There has to be. Mm -hmm. These, well, these I, yeah. companies aren't benign. The technology is not benign. You know, you have to have some kind of ground rules. Absolutely, and you know, on that, on that note, do you think that the Illinois biometric law and the upcoming California privacy act those are good first steps in in kind of doing away with it because with that regulation sort of comes an incentive to for the public to be educated um and in I that think, way people can start to understand the difference between privacy invasion and privacy protection with biometrics right, right? well there's a lot of education that needs to be and i think i think you have to start moving forward the the, the issue is and I, maybe this is going to be like other things in terms of the u.s which is where it's, things are done on a state-by-state -state basis and then you start having a lot of court challenges and eventually it moves up to the Supreme Court and you end up having, you know, kind of a, a more, you know, federally-based assessment. But I really think, you know, given what's going on with the U.S. government right now, this is going to be like the lowest priority, you know, on the list. But I really think we need to do it, you know, on a federal level. I, I think state-by-state -state just doesn't work because right. the data, that's not where the data lives. So I think it just creates a lot of chaos. There's going to be a lot of court cases. You know, people win, people lose. They're going to go back and redo the laws. I just think it's going to be a mess until, as a as a society, we have an, a discussion and a debate about this. And I think it's actually really critical to understand it and to raise it to to, to you know raise it to the level where you're having that kind of discussion on a national basis. And then yeah, people do become educated and and. Um, and interestingly enough, this is an issue where right and left tend to agree. So I think there's a lot of potential 
to actually sort this out in a way that act that provides assurances for citizens and consumers and creates guidelines that are going to actually make it easier for these companies to do business. So, um, you know, kind of wrapping up in sort of a future gazing sort of fun area, what do you expect uh, will be the defining biometric trends of 2019 and beyond? So I, I've been playing around with this notion of fast lane biometrics. Mm -hmm. And initially it was something that grew out of, you know, sort of the automated border control environment in airports. And what we're seeing now is that biometric facilitation has moved beyond immigration. Um, we're now looking at that across the airport ecosystem. It's jumping out of the airport, clear, you know, has gone to stadiums. They're, they're uh, providing services at Hertz now. You know, they're talking about other services. So what, what the context for how I'm thinking about biometrics this year is this notion of fast lane biometrics, which is biometrics facilitating a whole range of interactions and processes. And, and whether it's in the airport, whether it's at, a, at a, a, a stadium or at a car rental agency or um, for, <clears throat> excuse me, sharing, uh, sharing economy, um, even on the enterprise level. So that's the kind of context, which is how are we using biometrics to facilitate physical movement through controlled spaces and virtual movement through digital spaces. And so I think we're gonna start, and this goes to the conversation we've had about biometrics being a mainstream technology or a nascent technology, which is gonna become less nascent as it expands out to different applications. It really relates to the availability and accessibility of biometrics through our smart devices. Mm -hmm. um, and it has, I think it relates to the, the notion of, you know, how um, acceptable biometrics are in our day-to-day -day life and, and that relationship between the virtual and the physical world. So. That's that's kind of what I'm playing with in my mind in, in terms of understanding what the potential for the marketplace is. And in fact, um, I'm working on a report right now to kind of quantify that uh, globally as a as a, in a context for looking at, you know, where the opportunities are for biometrics uh, to grow over the next three to five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that all makes a, a ton of sense to me, you know, in terms of the times that we've seen biometrics really go through an accelerated evolution. It's always been the security has enabled massive convenience. Right. And so having seeing that on like a larger service level of, you know, uh, and I mean, the business case is there. It's like, do you want to go to the desk and rent your car or do you just want to go, right. you know, take a selfie and, and drive away? Um, right. And so I think it's there. And, and then a lot of people in the um, consumer IoT market have also been talking about biometric customization, you know, uh, in the smart home and smart cars, which is a little bit, uh, you know, a little ways off. But in the next couple of years, I think we'll be talking about well, that car, a little bit more. The car folks are really focused on this. I think the, the uh, Subaru's Forester has facial recognition. Mm -hmm. um, but we're a long way off from that kind of technology being integrated into um, the ongoing processes of operating a vehicle. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, 
there's a lot at risk there. But I think that, you know, that's an interesting conundrum because with the connected car situation, if you don't have enough of a strong identity verification built into that, if right. if at any way somebody can remotely uh, control your ignition. Right, and they already can. That's a problem. Right? Like, yeah. Like, it's a computer that can be hacked into. So, well, you know, I think there's, I, I think there's tremendous opportunity in that space. Um, mm. You know, I think, uh, you know, just the, well, you know, the, and we're moving towards autonomous vehicles too. So maybe that changes with that, but the idea of, you know, losing control of your vehicle because you can't be properly biometrically <laughs> identified um I think we're we're a ways off from that. I mean, like I said, people we we we're not at the point yet where we're ready to say I can't get into my phone without biometrics. So I think right. from there to I can't get into my car without biometrics <laughs> is, is a pretty significant leap. Um so I think we're gonna see a lot, as you said, a lot of convenience oriented, um facilitated, you know, experiences with biometrics where you know that it's not it's not the default it's not the 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 baseline. You know, it's it's always an option. You know, mm -hmm. and there's always a workaround because I think we're a long way off from really um, being committed to a fully biometric automotive experience. Mm -hmm. But we will get there. I and think that's the positive takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> As you and I both know, a lot happens in this industry in 12 months. Uh, thanks for discussing the year in review results with me. Is there anything you wanted to? Uh, promote right now to plug and how can people yeah, uh promotion plug yeah, yeah. I, you know uh acuity uh put out a new report uh last year on um biometrics in the airport environment it used to be called the automated border control report now it's the uh automated biometric facilitation report because that's really reflecting that transition in the airports from you know e-gates and immigration to a seamless flow uh within the airport ecosystem so that's something uh that I think is really interesting. You know, as always, we're very data driven. There's tons of data in our reports. And um, you can get a preview at the website. Of course, our ongoing deployment lists for eGates and uh, automated passport control kiosks. And we're now adding, we've added the new deployment list for automated biometric facilitation in airports, which is all those other touch points at check in, at bag drop, and boarding. So we're tracking all of that. Uh, and so if you're interested in really getting some deep insight to what's happening in that airport environment, we have a, a, a ton of data. And as I said, we'll be coming up with a new report that's gonna look at the market more generally in this context and try to sort of make some global forecasts around how this, uh, how this mainstream yet nascent market will progress <laughs> across uh, you know, a range of, of different applications. Excellent. And uh, if people want to find you, they can find you on Twitter. Talk to they you there. They can find me on Twitter, cmaxmost. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for uh, for taking the time to talk to me today. It was a great conversation and look forward to having you back on the podcast. Yep. Thanks, Peter. And I'll talk to you uh, soon. Great. 
hope you enjoyed my conversation with Maxine Most. To learn more about her work with Acuity, visit her website, acuity-mi.com. And as always, for all your up-to-date news on biometrics, mobility, and digital identity, stay glued to mobileidworld.com and our sister site, findbiometrics.com. You've been listening to the Mobile ID World podcast. Special thanks to Legumrad for the use of our theme music. Until next time, own your identity. Thank you.